This is episode 120 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Winter Youth 2006. This is session three. Um, excited to be back this morning. Last night, uh, yesterday, um, it was a good day. Did you guys enjoy following up? Good. It was good. And. Well, hey, let me, uh, let me pray. And what about the painting? How, how about the painting, how it finished last night? That's good. So he, he's getting ready to start. But uh, let me go ahead and pray, and then I'll let him get started so you can watch him or me. God, thanks just for another day. Thank you uh, just for this chance to, to learn more uh, from your word. God, I pray today, specifically, as, as we're talking about sin, some issues, God, that I know are going to hit home uh, with these young people, that God, that you just speak. Uh, through me to them. I pray this in your name. Amen. Yesterday, as, as I was talking about some of the people that I know and some of the things that uh, these people are caught up in, today I want to talk to you about these certain things that maybe some of you are caught up in. Uh, when you look at sin, uh, whether it's big or small, wh- whether no one in this room knows about it or everybody already knows about it, whether you've told somebody or you haven't told anybody, big or small, it all keeps you from doing what God wants you to do. It all separates you from what God wants you to do. It gets in the way. And, and uh, I did the search on Amazon under books uh, that d- wrestle with sin, addictions, because in one way we're all addicted. We're all an addict. We're all addicted to something, I believe. Uh, we all have our vices. We all have something that we're struggling with. It turns out, I wrote it on my hand so I wouldn't forget, there's 68,378 books on this topic of addiction, ranging from all sorts of things that you can think of, anything that you can think of. There's a book. There's a kind of a help book to get you through that. And uh, since, you know, I, I found out that a lot of you don't like to read, I didn't buy any of these 68,000 books, although I started kind of going through those because on uh, Amazon now you can kind of, without buying the book, you can kind of search through the books and kind of read through it. But it was just mind-blowing how many books there were. And today I can't talk about all those issues, and I might not be able to uh, touch on the one issue that you're struggling with, but I, I thought I'd start with just kind of going over a few of these things. Uh, the, the first thing is food. You're going, food? How's food a sin? How's food a problem? Well, for a lot of people, it becomes a problem. 65% of us here in the United States are either overweight or obese. It makes up of about $93 billion in medical bills because simply we eat too much. You talk about smoking, and obviously none of you are probably old enough to smoke, but that doesn't stop you. One in five people uh, die because of smoking. One in four people in America smoke. Yet we know it causes lung cancer, yet we know it does all these things, but yet we continue to do it. If you look at porn, this is the only porn reference I'll make in this talk, but it's obviously the world that I I, I live in, and uh, 40 million people a day log on to pornographic websites. It's a problem. 49% of your families, Christian families, say that porn is somewhat of a problem, a major problem in their household. Porn. Well, you look at masturbation. No one ever talks about that or says that word, yet 60% of girls admit to struggling with that. I won't even tell you the stat with guys because it will blow your mind. You talk about um, this one. There's a a research committee came out with this stat last week. It will blow your minds. Uh, Media. How much time do you think you spent in front of the computer, the TV, the cell phone, or video games a week? Just give me a couple hands real quick, a couple hands, because you won't even get this. For, for how, many, how many hours a week? Uh, okay, give me hours. 40, okay, someone else? Over there. 
72, you must have read this study. Yeah, smart guy, stand up there. Right there, 72 hours. Yeah, 72 hours a week. Check that out. That's two full-time jobs. Some of you are like telling your parents, I don't have time to work. You've got like 72 hours to spend in front of either a cell phone, text messaging, video games, or a lot of you do it all together all at once because it's not that hard. Our parents look at us going, how do they do that? I can get my homework done too because I can go to Google and cut and paste all that stuff in a matter of, not that you do that, but... um, I mean, some of you have figured out those things because you spend 72 hours a week on that stuff. Well, for some of you, that becomes a problem. That becomes uh, an addiction because you can't escape it. Some of you, the hardest part of coming to Winter Youth this year was leaving the computer. What are my friends on MySpace going to do? What are all my, my friends? Well, they're not friends. What are these friends well, that I think are friends that actually I don't even know or have never met? What are they going to do if I'm offline now, if I'm not online? Some of you, whether it's video games, I've met kids that can't even have a meal with their parents or take a shower or comb their hair because they're playing that Warcraft two-button game and talking to their friends for hours a night. And I watch some of my friends, their, their, their parents, they bring in food to their bedrooms to like feed right into this. Well, no, he's got to play his video game. Like, is he coming out for Christmas? No, we're just giving him more video games. To Some of you, it, it's a problem, but 72 hours a, a week we're spending. Yeah, the TV's not bad. Yeah, the computer's not bad. Sure, some of the text messaging isn't bad. Food's not bad. Some of these things aren't bad, but yet if they're consuming us, if they're taking all our time, all our energy, if they're, they're what we're spending all our time with, it's a problem. Let me, let me just speak to some of you leaders for a second. 54% of Americans admit to being overworked. One in three Americans that have vacation, paid vacation, don't take their vacation. And, and a lot of you are here because you, you love these kids and you've taken vacation time to just even be here. So there's a lot of other people, youth workers, other people that they can't come to winter youth and they can't even take time off for vacation because they're addicted to, to, to work. You look at money and what huh, this generation, the 25 and up, 25 to 40, have filed more bankruptcy in the history of the world. On average, uh, American family spends 25% of their income on debt because we buy too much junk. So whether it's food, whether it's buying things, whether it's the, the computer, whether it's pornography, whether it's sex, whether, I mean, you kind of name your vice. Obviously, these are kind of some of the top ones. We, we've all got some issues. Some of those books that I mentioned, I, I kind of thumbed through on, on the internet, and I kind of read some of the stuff. And a lot of them, they offer shortcuts. You know, you buy this, you follow these simple steps, you do these certain things, and instantly your problems are gone. Instantly, it's fixed. And i got to tell you, there's bad news. That, that might not work. Sometimes shortcuts aren't going to work. Sometimes it's, it's not going to take a shortcut to fix this world of sin that your life kind of lives in right now. Sometimes you have to kind of look square in the face of that sin and go, all right, let me, let me deal with that. I, I got an email from a guy named Ollie. And most of the emails that I get from people, like I've told you before, are related with pornography. This guy says, Craig, my problem is food. And uh, I, uh, I go, okay, and I read this email, and this guy's kind of pouring his heart out to me, and he says, it's always been easier to eat than have self-control. I, I've, I've, you know, I've even started eating and hiding, yet I don't know why I eat by myself in hiding, because anytime I eat, obviously I get bigger and bigger. People know that I struggle with this, but I, I just do it all by them, myself now. It got so bad that I have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, I have trouble sleeping, 
and I'm just, I don't know what to do. He went to a doctor, and he told me that when he got weighed in at the doctor, that he couldn't, like the scale couldn't take how much he weighed. So the doctor said, Ollie, you know what you should do? Because we need to get this weight and kind of see in order to get this under control. Can you go down to the farmer's market and weigh yourself? Ollie's got four kids, a wife. He's a Christian. He goes, I drove to the farmer's market to weigh myself. He weighed in at 410 pounds. Uh, he sent me this photo. It's, it's up on the, uh, the screen. And uh, it's a big guy. And uh, he, he goes on in the email to, to, to share with me. Not only, he, he talks to me about, about flying. And he said, Craig, you know, I, I got on a flight recently. And he said, it was one of the most humiliating days of my life. He says this, he says, I'll never forget sitting in the seat, not being able to buckle the belt. I had to ask the flight attendant in front of other passengers for a seatbelt extender. It was humiliating. During this trip, I flew on three different planes, and I had to get the belt extender on each plane. It was one of the most humiliating days of my life. He went on to tell me about how he was asked to officiate a wedding. He was a pastor. He said, Craig, do you know what it's, you don't know what it's like to have to go search for a tuxedo when you're a size 60 suit and a size 58 pant. No one makes that. He said, I, I did this wedding, and after the wedding, it was the, one of the lowest days of my life. He said, I decided I, I need help. I need, I need to do something. So he goes to the doctor again, and he says, just, I beg of you to let me have this surgery. And the surgery that Ollie wanted was gastric bypass surgery. And in some cases, it works, but in other cases, it's, it's not going to work. Ollie had a family member die because of that surgery, because they were at too great of a risk to do the surgery, but they did it anyways. The doctor said to Ollie, you're too great of a risk. We can't perform this. Get your weight under control, and then later. And Ollie goes, no, it's the only thing that's going to work. I've tried running. I've tried exercising. I've tried eating less, but I, I don't have any of those things that I just need to do, take this shortcut. He's willing to risk his life because he was at such a low place in his life because of the sin, because of this addiction, because of this thing that was controlling his life, that he's willing to, to risk his life in order to take a shortcut. The doctor said no to Ollie. He goes on, and I'll read you a little bit more of his email later, but let me just tell you guys, just like Ollie, it's okay to be at the end of your rope. It's okay to be there and be asking, begging for help. Because in one way, we've all been there in, in one form or another. And sometimes, though, a shortcut's not going to work. Like, it wasn't going to work for Ollie. Sometimes, in your situation, you're buried maybe so deep in this sin and this lifestyle that you've lived in. And, and you can't just escape by doing these five points that this book says, or going to this conference, or going here for three days. It's going to take some other extreme measures. And that's what I kind of want to look at today, because... Uh, a lot of us, I think, are just disappointed. A lot of us are going, well, I tried that. I, I, I've searched everywhere I can find for the answers, and I haven't found it. Yet, yet I believe some of the answers are right in front of us. I, I read this. 9% um, of USA Today bestseller books are diet books, yet the New England Journal of Medicine reports that two years after going on a diet, on average, people weigh more than they did when they started. Uh, it also says in this study, I don't know how many of you, what grade you have to be in to read that horrible 900-page book, The Scarlet Letter. Any of you had to read that? Why do we still make us read that? Well, get this. Um, the Cliff Notes, how many of you bought the Cliff Notes? 
You lie. <laughs> it's okay. We know the stats. It says the Cliff Notes outsell the real book three to one. Well, yeah, because you can get the clip notes that sum up the book in like, what, 100 pages or read the whole thing that, you know, no, you buy the clip notes. And we're used to that in this world where shortcuts, well, that works. And maybe it worked for the Scarlet Letter. I'm not approving of that. You know, I read the whole 900. It will change your life. It will make you do great things if you read that book because your teacher said so. But our, our world that says shortcuts, you know, that there all these things that Ab Energizer I bought, that, that told me I was going to get a six-pack, and, and it didn't work, you know? You, it gives you electronic volts to your stomach. Did any of you get that? They recalled it. And I had to sell mine on eBay before it got recalled. But um, that it promised you all these things, and it doesn't work. You have to go to the gym and do crunches and do sit-ups if you want those things. And, and, and some of you, that the sin that you've got yourself entangled with, it's going to take something else. The book of James says it like this. James 1, 13 through 15, if you want to turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, it's all right. It says this. It says in James 1, 13 through 15, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Let me tell you, there's no way, nice way to put this, but sin is, be, is going to become a real killer in your life. And here's what it does. Sin will confuse you. You'll enjoy it because it's fun. Like we talked about yesterday, it's fun for that season. And so when you're into it, you're going to enjoy it. But then there's going to be consequences to it. You're going to feel guilty and shameful, but then you're going to go back to that rush and that high of, wow, this kind of felt good. You're going to justify your sin. Well, at least I'm not doing that. And maybe point the finger to other people that you know. At least I'm not caught up in what they're caught up. I'm only doing this. But eventually it says sin, after it's conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. If you turn to 2 Peter. That's kind of where I want to land here today. It, it talks to us about how we can kind of get over this. Peter talks about this, and, and as you're turning in there, Second Peter, the first chapter, I'm going to read about uh, 12 verses out of that first chapter. And back in Romans, and I, I mentioned this passage yesterday, Romans, it says, I want to do good, because I mean, a lot of you want to do the right thing, but sin is there to trip me up. And that's the message translation. I love that translation because, I mean, I think it, 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 I mean, it sums up my life. I want to do right. I want to do the right thing. I want to live in the light. But that dark, that dark stuff, it trips me up. And now in Peter, it says, well, here's how we can overcome this. Second Peter, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of our God and Savior have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, confirming one's calling and election. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. 
For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if any of you do not have them, you are nearsighted and blind, and you have forgotten that you have been cleansed from your past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. You will receive a rich reward and welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've got to understand that passage. It says, for God has given us everything we need to live a godly life. I'm not making it up. It says it right here in this passage. When I hear things like, I can't do this. I can't lose this weight. I can't stop the, the drugs. I can't stop looking at porn. I can't stop having sex with my girlfriend, my boyfriend. I can't stop these things. Yes, you can. It says in the Bible, it's clear as day, that God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. He's given it to you. It's there for you. So this whole, I can't, well, maybe you can't on your own power, but God has given you everything you need to make it. And now there's a few things we must do. If you kind of follow through this passage, I'm just going to kind of work through it. It says that you need to add to your faith certain things. Well, you've got to start there. Add to your faith goodness. So before you get to goodness and knowledge, it's, it's assuming that you have faith in God. It's assuming that you've put your faith in Christ. One of the things I, I told you about when we go to these porn conventions, for years we talk to people about porn. And, you know, it gets old. Four days in a row at all these shows. We, we go a couple times a year, and we don't get in debates with people about the issue, but sin is sin. And I don't care if it's porn, if it's, if it's premarital sex, if it's drugs. We've all got something. We've all got something. So for me to get into a conversation, uh, it's tiring at, at a porn show talking about the, the porn. So we want to point people to the answer. We started giving away Bibles, like I told you yesterday, because we believe this, that God's word is the answer. And he's given you everything that you need. And so, yeah, the sin that you're wrestling with over here, yeah, we can get through that, but only if we put our faith in God. Last year when I was here, I told you about this girl named Trinity that we helped out of the porn industry. And she completely like got free of the porn industry and amazing things happened in her life. But about three months ago, we lost contact with her. It was horrible. It was like they, 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 a bunch of bad stuff kind of happened where she kind of came at us and said, you guys promised you'd give me a better life. You guys promised it would be better. You guys promised this, this, and this. And, and here's the thing with Trinity. She never took us up on that offer, that free offer of salvation that God offers. We gave her money, $17,000 we raised and, and gave to her to pay for schooling, to education, um, uh, help child care for her, her, her daughter moved her across the country. We did all these things, but a year later, she says, hey guys, thanks, but no thanks. My life is no better. And I just said to her, well, we can't change your life completely. Sure, we got you out of porn. That was step one, but there's other things here, and you expected us, these things to happen, they're not gonna happen. Only God can totally change your life, and you gotta start by putting your faith in God, and she didn't wanna hear it. And so I kind of started to wonder, well, did we do something wrong? I started asking the guys that work with us in our ministry, like, were we at fault? And they said, no. I mean, you guys tried, but if, if someone's not going to come to that understanding, 
of who God is and that relationship with God that there's not much that we can do. That's why as we go back next week to these conventions, you know, we want to plant seeds by giving people these Bibles. You've you got to look at this passage. It says, you know, God's given you everything you need to live a godly life. You must add to your faith certain things, but there's a big difference in knowing what you should be doing and actually doing it. There's a big difference in knowing, having that knowledge about God, but then actually then having a relationship with God and knowing what that, that God and that relationship's all about. So you've got to start there. It starts with faith. If I could sing, I'd sing you the old George Michael, God Have Faith song, but... Uh, yeah, I won't, because it's probably not the time and place for it. But he says you got to have faith. And uh, that was funny for me, but not for you. So uh, maybe you weren't George Michael and Wham fans, but I know some people in the back were big Wham fans. And that was a shout-out to Wham. But um, add to your faith. And it says here in this passage, add to your faith goodness and knowledge. And, and so how do you add knowledge to your faith? Well, I believe we have to by doing a few things. Instead of just knowing what we should do, well, adding knowledge, I think, comes from doing a few simple things. One, like prayer. Prayer builds conversation with you and God. It's going to be that one of those things that keeps you away from that sin by praying, by having this relationship with God and being able to talk to God. You add knowledge to your faith by praying. One of the other ways I think we add knowledge to our faith is by study, and that's study of the Bible. It's sad that one of the best-selling Bibles for, for high school students is the one-minute Bible. The one-minute Bible, you've got 72 hours a week to spend in front of media, but yet we have one minute to read our Bible. If you want to add to your faith knowledge, get into his word. Start studying his scriptures. Start, uh, God has a personality, he has a character, and study will reveal it. It will find it. Study will be one of those things that keeps you from your sin. And thirdly, I think we add to knowledge by fasting. You, you look through the scriptures. Uh, once again, I'm not making it up. You look at Jesus before he prepared himself for ministry. He spent 40 days in the wilderness and he went without food. He says in his words, when you fast, not if you fast. And I, I don't care if it's food. I don't think God cares if you fast from food. Maybe he, for some of you, the food's not the issue. It, maybe it's, it's, it would be tougher for you to fast the, the internet and all the media for 72 hours that you spent instead of fasting a few meals. But, but it's that discipline of saying, you know what, God? I'll, I'll give you something. Like, I'll give up something like food, something that I, yeah, I could go without for, for a few hours. We, we do it for charity, like the 30-hour famine that, that you do probably in your youth groups. A lot of you do. Some of us, you know, maybe go without certain things for X amount of time. And, and it's not the, the food or the TV or the internet, those things that I think God's concerned with. He's just saying, hey, when you give me something like that, and allow me to replace that, the knowledge that you're going to gain from that is tremendous. I had never fasted before this year. I, I did one fast when I was a junior high pastor. I did the 30-hour famine for our youth group, and uh, it was awesome. Um, I had 100 and something junior hires to take care of, so I ate twice on the fast. I felt bad, but uh, I, I justified it by saying... Uh, I wasn't raising money, and I had to take care of all these kids, and they're junior hires, and they're hard to deal with. And so that was the one fast that I'd been on, and I just I had to shove a few things to keep through the night. But that was my repenting now of, of my one fast. So I've met some friends, though, and as I've studied the Scripture, as I've, as I've 
grown in my faith, I've decided, well, why not? Why don't we ever talk about that? We go to conference, we go to this, we go to buy this book. Uh, the Bible's kind of clear on some issues. Why not try it? So uh, August 5th, I, I did a fast. Um, for 40 days, we started a fast. And I was scared to death. My dad calls me up. That was rare. He says, Craig, that's the stupidest thing you've ever done in your life. I'm like, Dad, well, let's talk. Because I lived with you for 18 years. I did a lot of stupid things you still don't know about. And I'm not going to tell you now that I'm older. But this, where, what do you think? This is stupid. Well, you can't do this. Like, what do you mean you're going you're gonna to not eat? And I go, well, yeah, I mean, I'm going to try. And if I have to eat, you know, uh, if I can't make it physically. But, uh, I mean, I went to the doctor. He, he thought I could do this. And, and, and so to me and, and my friends and, and the people that we decided to do this thing with, we, we decided not to just fast. We weren't thinking. We decided to tour the whole United States in an RV while we weren't eating. And then they made gas like $3.50 a, a gallon on top of this. So we started in California in San Francisco on August 5th. And on September 13th, we ended up in New York City. Uh, about eight of us uh, in an RV. My two kids came along for 26 of the days in an RV. Um, it was crazy. It was absolutely insane. We drove 11,400 miles. Every night, we actually spoke at a church. Uh, we, well, I'll tell you a little bit more about the trip tomorrow when I, when I share, but it was a life-changing experience. I thought God was going to talk to me more because I was giving him uh, food. God doesn't talk more on a fast, but you listen more. You're more aware of what's going on. You're more in tune with what's happening. It was changed my life, changed the people in that, that RV's life. It changed other people. As we saw over 1,000 people uh, fast, some people couldn't fast. I remember Jake calling me up, and, and he says, Craig, I, I started four days, and I'm in the hospital. <laughs> like, Why? And Jake's on like high blood pressure medicine because it runs in the family and this and that. And you can't go. And the doctor's like, what do you mean you're not eating? And, uh, and so I didn't want to kill Jake on the fast. And so he, he's at home trying to support me in Sacramento on this thing. And I go, eat, eat something. And so he decided to, to fast from some of the other things instead of food because physically he needed to eat or he would die. And he couldn't, uh, he couldn't do that. So the, the issue here isn't food. It's just saying, okay, God, I'm willing to give up something. You set a certain amount of time and, and say, God, I'm going to allow you to work in place of that. That's how I believe that we had on uh, day 26 of the trip. We, we kind of crisscrossed the country. I, I would never did good in geography. I kind of skipped over that class. So as you can tell, it should only take you about 4,000 miles to get across the United States. I was in charge of the map, and so I took us 11,000 miles. It took us out of the way quite a bit. For some reason, we were in Atlanta, and then we went back to like Minnesota and back to Nashville, and then it was crazy. And um, day 26, though, we were in Atlanta, and I met Ollie. I was like, "You're the dude from the email," and yeah, and it was. And he had heard about what we were doing, and he had heard about all this stuff right after he did that wedding, and he was told that he he couldn't have gastric bypass surgery. So he says to me, "Does this?" He says, "After getting turned down on gastric bypass surgery." I didn't know what else to do, so I decided to fast and let God take over. I did not enter the fast to lose weight. That would be nice, but I entered the fast to get to know God better. During the fast, I wasn't on my knees praying nonstop and day and night, but it was like I was praying all the time. It was like I was in this 24-7 mode of communication with God. During the fast, God was really teaching me about how He's the Creator and I'm the creation. It was like I was able to make this connection that I'd never been able to make in my life. Fasting will draw you closer to God. You add to your faith knowledge 
by praying, by study, and by fasting. If, if you keep going in this passage here, it says, add to your knowledge self-control. And that's the one thing that many of you are saying, I don't have self-control. Oli tells me in this email, I didn't lose that much weight on the fast, but it hit me. I always thought I had no self-control. I thought losing weight was impossible for me. But God was like, see, you had self-control for 40 days, so now you can have self-control. I decided to start walking, and I decided to eat really light and pray about the stuff I ate, kind of let God take over. The first week after the fast, I walked one mile per day. It was tough, but it got easier as I went on. Add to your knowledge self-control. Some of you think, I don't have it. Well, God says he's given you everything you need to live a godly life. You need to add self-control. And you've got to figure it out, where it is that you struggle, where it is that you stumble, and, and, and asking God for that self-control to stay away. If you keep going on in this passage, it says, obviously, if we, we back up, add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance. Oli tells me about how uh, he started walking one mile a day, but then he just was like, I could do two. I, I could do three. I could actually run. I, I could run three miles a day. I could run four miles a day. So after about a month of doing this, and having the self-control, he decided, okay, I'll run. He's running six miles a day. Here's a guy that, you know, a few months back couldn't even get on a plane. He couldn't find a tuxedo for his, his wedding. It was just at the point of just desperation, looking for a shortcut. Now he's out jogging, so you know, six miles a day, like fast, fastly jogging. It says in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, the sin that so easily trips you up. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who such endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Look at what God did. Look at what Christ did on the cross for you. Look at what he went through. So six miles a day, all he's going, hey, in relationship to what God did on the cross, this is nothing. I can keep going. Well, whatever it is that you're kind of thinking maybe already as I'm talking, you're thinking the road ahead. Well, that doesn't look too well. I mean, that's going to be tough. It didn't say it's going to be easy. But persevere. Hang in there, realizing that Christ, what he did for you is so much greater. The, the mess that we've got to kind of climb ourselves out of might be a tough, tough one, but it's worth it. Add to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, and it says add to perseverance, still kind of going through this passage in Peter, add to perseverance, godliness. And once again, you have to know the right thing. You have to know what it is that you should be doing. But that there's a difference of, okay, I know the right thing, but then actually doing the right thing. And basically how you add godliness, what, what that means is you become more like God. You, you try and become more like Christ. As simple as that. You, you want to stay away from the sin in your life? You want to keep away from these things? Be more like Christ. Add to your faith godliness. Become more like God. There's a lot of craziness of, of 
interpretation of the Bible and the scriptures. I moved to this crazy city in Michigan and there's a bunch of crazy people there that, that separate and go to different churches based on what this person believed and he, that's wrong and this wrong. And there's all this talk on theology and there's all these seminaries and Christian colleges around and, and there's all these div- divisions amongst churches. If we come back to like this passage in Peter, it's simple. And there's nothing more simpler theology than actually applying the gospel to your life. And that's why I love this passage in Peter. Peter's saying, hey, as you add to your faith, godliness, as you become more like God, it's going to help you out. It's one of those things that God's given you and he wants you to, to, to be more like him that's going to keep you away from that mess that you've made for yourself. And finally, the last part of that passage says, add to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. It goes on in the Bible to say the greatest of all these commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. The greatest of all these commandments is love. The, the church I go to made these bumper stickers, uh, and they say love wins. And it's just pretty cool because I, I drive up and down the street, and you know I told you all this craziness of all these other churches, and yet I see these bumper stickers, love wins. And it does. In the end, it just says, add to your faith, godliness. It's a godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. And, and here it is. There, there's a catch here. That, not really a catch, but there's a reward. And we live in this society that wants things. You know, we want uh, to see instant results, or we want to know, well, what's going to happen when I do these things? And we've been let down. A lot of us are disappointed and discouraged because you've tried something, and it hasn't worked, and you're still into this meth. You, you haven't fixed your problems. Peter's clear. It couldn't be more clear. And you don't... It doesn't take a scholar to interpret this. It says, if you do these things, you will never stumble. It says, if you add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love, you do these things, you will not stumble. For if you do these things, you will not fail. If you do these things, you won't fail. You'll win. You'll get out of that mess. You don't have to worry about that. It's good news. You don't have to, to, to buy this book and subscribe to these seven principles. You, you do these things. The answer is right in front of us. You do these things, you can get out of that mess that you're in. It says you'll never stumble. You go back to the beginning of that passage. It says God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. For if you do these things, you won't fail. Here's one case. I've seen it firsthand. I got to spend the weekend with Ollie. Uh, he came to my church and he got to share his testimony. I was blown away. Okay, I'll show you a picture just first of all. Uh, here's the picture. He's, he put the princess thing on it. He's really not a princess. But um, he, he says in front of my church, you know what? I've lost an entire Craig plus more. And I was like, what? Well, how much? I weigh like 140-something. And he's lost 170 pounds in 11 months. It doesn't, and this isn't a, a weight story, let me just tell you, because we're all tired of seeing Jared on a sub, if I have to see that guy on one more Subway commercial, we don't want to eat cold cut combos for like a year like Jared did. And, and for me, Ollie's story is not just the weight. That's the one aspect, 250, or 240 now he weighs to, to four, from 410. It doesn't work that way. 
It's unheard of what happened. Only, here's what he did. He, he did what Peter says to do. Add to your faith. Yeah, self-control, perseverance, godliness. Let me tell you, the story doesn't end with the weight loss, and that's not why I brought Ollie to the church. I brought Ollie to the church because Ollie tells me in this email, as, as we kind of come back and forth and I got to know him, he says, Craig, this is the best year of my life. My kids, I, I can run after them on the soccer field I'm without you know, I, I feeling like I'm going to fall over. My, my wife, it's been great. You know, our relationship and, and ministry, like this sin, this addiction, this life-controlling addiction of, of food for me was controlling me, was stopping me from doing what I wanted to do. In January 21st, Ollie's going to board a plane with all of his kids and his wife. He doesn't need a seatbelt extender. He's moving to Russia to start a church. Here's Russia, a place where there's not a lot of God going on. There's not a lot of churches. Here's a guy from Atlanta, Byron, Georgia. Now through this whole process, God's led him. He couldn't get on a plane a year ago. He couldn't do that. He wasn't in the right health. He wasn't, but now... He's free of this life-controlling addiction that consumed his life, that drained him, the point of him going to a doctor to go, I need help so bad. And less than a year later, he'll beat it. In Russia? Like, I'm going to his website now, and I'm just freaking out over what God's doing. And now his, his kids and his family are learning Russian and, and trying to, you know, when they go over there and they're buying all these crazy clothes, and I'm so excited for him. And he has no idea what, what's going to come of the whole thing, but he's going to do and experience this more abundant life that God has for all of us when we get rid of some of this junk in our lives. If you do these things, you will not fail. So the tough part, and ask yeah, you guys to pull out those notebooks that you guys have, and hopefully you brought them in, or if you, have, if you don't have the notebook, if you have a piece of paper, you have something that you can write with. I ask you to pull that out real, real quick along with the pen. Because here, here it is. We're, we're all addic addicted to something. We're all addicts. We all have something that is controlling us. We're, we've all allowed something into our lives. Maybe we don't need it. Maybe it's okay at one point, but it's now controlling us to the point where it's not okay. Maybe it's an illegal substance. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's a, a, a relationship. You know what it is. God knows what it is. He knows your, your thoughts before you think. I mean, he knows what it is. It says in the Bible, he who confesses his sin will prosper. He who conceals his sin will not. He who confesses his sin will prosper. He who does not, and hides its sin, will not prosper. I'm not going to ask you to do anything crazy like bring up this piece of paper and, and put it on the stage or put it on a cross. I'm going to ask you right now just to write down, maybe one word, maybe it's two words, what it is that is controlling you. And just write it down. He who confesses his sin will, will prosper. And, and the first point that we've got to come to, realizing, okay, God's given us everything that we need to live a godly life. I, I've got this baggage. I've got this junk that's, that's controlling me, that's weighing me down. I don't want it anymore. I'm going I'm to identify it and stare right at that thing and say, yes, this is what it is. You don't kid yourself any longer. You know what it is. And after you're done writing it down, whether you put it back in that notebook, whether you pull it out and put it in your pocket, just keep that. And I'd ask you this week, 
as you're here at Winter Youth, at some point, take that piece of paper back out and also turn to first, Second Peter chapter 1 and reread that passage that I just read to you, Second Peter chapter 1 through 1 through 13, and start to pray about what it is that God wants you to do. And then as you open your eyes and, and, and read that passage, I, I think you'll see it's right in front of you what you need to do. And I ask you to do that before you leave. And I ask you to do one other thing. It's going to be a little tougher than that. At some point before you leave, share what's on that piece of paper with somebody else. And maybe some of you are willing to do that right after this uh, session as you go into small group time. Maybe some of you aren't, aren't going to be ready for that right away, and that's okay. But to understand that this is kind of a unique setting that, that God's allowed us to be a part of. So many people would, would just love to have a chance where a thousand plus people could gather all singing to God and learning more about Him and, and helping each other out. And so at some point, whether it's in a small group, well, maybe it's before you go to bed and, and sharing it with the, the guys or the, the girls that you're in the hotel with and just saying, hey, you know what? This is me. Yeah, I'm ashamed of it. Yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. But that's why I'm going to tell you so you can help me. Yeah, I'm embarrassed of it. Yeah, nobody knows, and I've never told this to anybody, but hey, it's part of the jury that I'm on. I, I want that. I, I, you remember that picture of Oli, that guy who's free. And, and the same is true for us. If you do these things, you will not fail. You'll never stumble. Go ahead and pray. Bow your heads with me. God, there's no easy way to talk about all the baggage, all the junk, all the sin that we filled our lives with. So God, I just pray for these students this morning. God, I know some of them are just in so deep. God, they feel so bad. They're got ashamed, uh, and they've started to believe that, God, that they can never escape some of these things or never even share some of these things. God, I pray that they understand that they can. That, God, that you, are, your Holy Spirit is, is our helper. That, God, you don't promise to take this stuff instantly away from us, but you will help us. You will guide our paths. You will make our paths straight. So, God, I pray as now we've identified what it is that's draining us, what it is that's controlling us, what it is that's holding us back from doing your work, God, that's the first step. God, I pray that we can add to our faith. Some of us don't even have that faith yet. Some of us need to have that relationship with God, and that needs to start today, God. I'm simply just inviting you into their lives by saying, God, help. I need help. I need to start a relationship with you because you're the answer. God, those that have that relationship, I pray that they add to their faith goodness, to goodness, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you do these things, you will not fail. You will not fail.